0: Good morning everybody, I'm Emily, and some of you here know me pretty well, some of you maybe have never met me before, so I'll tell you just a little bit about myself. Like Chris said, I am the small groups director here at the JAR, and that is something that I never ever thought I would be doing. I had always planned to be a math teacher. So about 12 or so years ago, I enrolled as a freshman at Taylor University as a math education major. And when you are a freshman at Taylor, they have this thing called Welcome Weekend. And it's a bunch of uh, fun games and activities and things like that to help you feel welcome and to meet some other freshmen. So the first night of Welcome Weekend, they pack all the freshmen in a gym and they have a big hoedown and make you dance with each other, it's really weird. But um, anyway, this first night at this home at hoedown, um, about the middle of the hoedown, they were giving away Ivanhoe's ice cream gift certificates. And I love Ivanhoe's, so I was really excited about that. So the MC said, a couple different ways you can get a gift certificate. So if your birthday is closest to today, come on up and you can get an Ivanhoe's gift certificate. Or if you move to Upland from the farthest away, come get your Ivanhoe's gift certificate. And then he said, if you are the shortest person in this room, you come on up and get your Ivanhoe's gift certificate. So I'm thinking, yes, you know, like a competition I can win, right? So I'm like confidently strutting up to the stage, you know, going to get my Ivanhoe's gift certificate, and in the corner of my eye, I see this guy. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, are you kidding me, really? So he goes up to the stage, gets my Ivanhoe's gift certificate, and I dejectedly walked back to my seat. And that was the first time that I ever laid eyes on my husband, my future husband, Mikey Skoglin, who was right back there. Everybody waving, at Mikey. <laughs> so a couple months later, Mikey and I actually met in person and quickly became friends. And then he developed a little bit of a crush on me. And so he decided in order to get closer to me, he was going to ask me to tutor him in calculus. So a couple times a week I would go over to his dorm and I would tutor him. But I don't think he was paying that close attention to the calculus um, because he ended up getting a D in the
1: class.
0: (laughs) But uh, he, he did win my heart and we ended up getting together. And four years later we were married and he introduced me to the jar. So we have now been married for almost eight years. And I think there's a picture of us there, yep, and uh, that cute little girl right there is my daughter Autumn, and she is two and a half years old, just under three foot tall, and my husband is four foot nine inches tall, and so at a towering five foot two, I am the tallest person in my family, (laughs) and I'm pretty proud of that. (laughs) So that's us. We are the Scoglins, and those of you that know us know we're pretty laid back people. We don't really get angry that easily, we kind of let things roll off our back. Um, We're pretty laid back, so Mikey and I don't fight that much, but we do fight, believe me, we do fight. And a couple of months ago, we had a fight, and it was kind of a doozy. Um, Actually, this was the first time in our entire marriage that one of us decided to sleep on the couch. Anybody want to guess who that was? (laughs) No, it was me. It was me. I slept on the couch. (laughs) So the day after this fight, I was not in a good mood. I mean, I was grumpy and grouchy because, you know, I slept on the couch, so I didn't get much sleep, and I was still a little ticked off at Mikey about the fight that we had, so I was just had a bad attitude, really grumpy. And so I reached over and grabbed my phone and noticed that I had an email from our pastor that you saw, Chris Punch, and it said this. Hi, Emily. At the beginning of the year, I'm going to do a teaching series called Stronger, And one of the teachings will be about marriage. I felt prompted to ask you if you would do the teaching on marriage. (laughs) And I'm like, of all the things you could ask me to teach about. It had to be marriage. So the next day I went into the office and sat down with Chris and I said, Listen, this is everything that happened and I don't think you want me to do the teaching on marriage. And he said, No, I really do want you to do this. So he said, I want you to pray about it. And if God doesn't say no, then I want you to teach on marriage. And I said, All right, I'll do that. So I went home, and I prayed about it, and God didn't say no. And I kept praying about it, and God still kept saying no. And even this morning, I prayed again and said, you know, it's not too late if you want to say no. He still didn't say no. So here I am. And needless to say, I do not have a perfect marriage. I am not a perfect wife. Mikey is not a perfect husband, believe me. And um, sometimes, (laughs) he's great, but he's not perfect. And sometimes marriage, it can, be, it can be rough. And while I would not trade being married to Mikey for anything in the world, there are times that it's hard. And there are times when I make Mikey angry. There are times when he makes me cry. There's times when I think, man, life was a lot easier when I was single. And there are times when marriage, it hurts. And I wonder if maybe I'm not the only person in this room that doesn't have a perfect marriage. Maybe it's just me So how can I An imperfect wife with an imperfect husband Teach you anything about marriage Well as I was thinking and praying About what I should share with you today I thought okay I know I will look in the Bible And I'll find a great example of a married couple in the Bible That we can model after And just really glean some good marital advice from And I gotta be honest with you I didn't find much Um, For example So there's this guy Abraham, who uh, lied and told everyone that his wife was his sister, and then slept with the housekeeper. Um, And then you've got Jacob, who was in love with this girl named Rachel, and then he accidentally married her sister. And how you accidentally marry someone, I'm not really sure. But then he thought, oh, well, I'll just marry both of them, and we'll be one big happy family. And you can probably guess how that worked out. And then there was David, who uh, wasn't happy with the three wives he already had, so he slept with somebody else's wife, got her pregnant, and then had him murdered. Um, And then there's Solomon, who had 700 wives. And uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say at least like 699 of those wives weren't completely satisfied with that relationship. So if you're here and you're thinking, my marriage is, Emily, you don't understand, my marriage is just not good. There is no way God could ever do anything with my marriage. I'm never going to have a great marriage. We're so screwed up. Maybe you're thinking, you know, we fight all the time. Things were great at the beginning, but we just can't seem to resolve conflict. Or, you know, we just don't, that love that we used to have is gone. Maybe for some of you, you're about this close to walking out the door and saying, I give up. I don't want to do this anymore. Well, if that's you, you are in good company. Because this book is filled with screwed up, messed up, imperfect marriages. But here's the good news. Every single one of those guys that I just listed, they all have something in common. And that is that they are all descendants of Jesus Christ. Which means that God brought something amazing out of those marriages. The best gift that he's ever given to mankind, his son, came from those marriages. He was able to redeem them and bring something great out of it. So today, if you're thinking, God can never do anything great with my marriage, he can't. is hope for you today. So how does God take a messed up, screwed up marriage and make it great? Well, I think the first thing we have to understand is that there are no perfect marriages. You might think you know somebody that has it all together and they're just happy all the time, but things are probably a little bit different behind closed doors. Okay, so what about that marriage that they've been married for, you know, 50, 60 years, always holding hands, you know, like more in love than the day that they met. When Don't they have a perfect marriage? Well, my guess is if you asked one of those couples if they had a perfect marriage, they would say no. They would say, we've had good times, we've had bad times, we've been through some really difficult stuff, but we've pushed through it, and we've lasted. So no, I don't think there are perfect marriages, but I do think that there are strong marriages. And that is our big idea for today, is that strong marriages, not perfect marriages, are the ones that last. And that's there in your handout if you want to write that down. So how does God make marriages stronger? Well, does anybody in here, by show of hands, do uh, bodybuilding or weightlifting or CrossFit, whatever that is? Raise your hand if you do. Okay, well, if that's you, a couple of you, you know that if you want to get physically stronger, it takes hard work. It takes some discomfort, some stretching. A lot of times it takes some pain. Right? And the same is true about a marriage becoming stronger. It takes hard work, it takes some difficulty, and a lot of times it takes some pain. And that's why I think a lot of times we're disappointed going into marriage because we think it's going to be happy all the time and easy and comfortable, and it ends up being very difficult. And this is true for any relationship. So if you're here today and you're single and you have no plans to ever get married, or maybe you've been married before and you never want to do that again. Um, Then this could still relate to any relationship a parent a child a friend So try to look at it through the lens of whatever relationship is important to you that you want to become stronger So how does God make our marriages stronger? Well, I've seen personally Three different ways that God makes marriages stronger either in my own marriage or in marriages of people that are close to me So I'm a really visual person So I'm going to show you some objects that will help you to sort of remember these ways that God makes our marriages stronger. So the first one, God makes our marriages stronger through reflection. And so we have a mirror here to help you remember that. And that's in your handout if you want to write that down. So before I talk about how God uh, makes marriages stronger through reflection, I need to back up a little bit. Because I told you that a couple of months ago, Mikey and I had a fight, but what I didn't tell you is what that fight was about. So I'm going to be really open here and vulnerable and tell you what that fight was about. So everybody has weaknesses, right? And my, one of my weaknesses is that I don't handle stress very well. I get overwhelmed and anxious and distracted really easily. And a lot of times I'll be at home and I'm there, but my mind is somewhere else. And Mikey will look at me and say, honey, where are you? Because you're here, but you're not here. And the day that we had that fight was a day like that. I was very upset and overwhelmed and anxious, and it was coming out in my attitude, and I wasn't being a very good wife and a very good mom. And um, Mikey said to me, he said, "Emily, your stress level is having a negative effect on my marriage, on our marriage." And I don't know what it was about that sentence, but it made me so angry. <laughs> I was like, how dare you say that my stress level is having a negative effect on our family? I work so hard to be a good wife, to be a good mom, to go to work and try to pay the bills and to keep the house clean and do volunteering and all this stuff, and you want me to do it just happy and stress-free the entire time. Except that I didn't say any of that out loud. <laughs> I said it all in my head because I'm a stuffer. You know, some of you are stuffers here, others of you are spewers and just kind of get it everywhere. So I thought all this in my head, but I didn't want Mikey to know anything. I was just going to let him sit there and stew and try to figure out what I was so mad about. But he knew something was up, because I wouldn't talk to him all day long. But he wasn't quite sure what it was. So later that night, it was getting late, and Mikey said, Well, I'm going to head off to bed. And I said, Well, I'm going to stay here downstairs because I want to be alone. So he went to bed, and I proceeded to sleep on the couch. So... Why did that one little sentence make me so angry? When Mikey said that to me, it was like he was showing me a mirror, holding it up to me and saying, Emily, this is what you're acting like right now. This is the truth, and this is who you are. And I did not want to look in that mirror. It's kind of like, have you ever gotten a really bad haircut? And you like walk past a mirror and you're like, oh, okay, do not want to see that. I'm just going to avoid all the mirrors and I'll just keep thinking I look fabulous, right? We don't want to see the ugly in the mirror. We don't want to look. We want to avoid it. We don't want to have to face the truth about our flaws. So um, going back to me being on the couch. um, So when I was on the couch, I slept on the couch, but I didn't sleep. I was still pretty angry and upset, so I just kind of lay there. Well, about 1 o'clock in the morning, I still wasn't sleeping, so I decided, well, if I'm not going to sleep, might as well do something. I guess I'll just talk to God. So I start talking to God, telling him, you know, can you believe, God, that Mikey said this to me? And, like, how dare he, you know, think that way? And I work so hard and all the trying to get God on my side, you know, saying all this stuff. And I just, you know, I'm really upset. I'm crying. I'm, it's ugly. And get it all off my chest. And then I have nothing left to, to say, so I, I sit there, and I listen, and I hear God speak to my heart, not out loud, just a prompting in my heart, and this is what he says to me. He's right, you know. Oh, not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> I said, uh, yes, I know. I don't want him to be right, but he is right. My stress level, it does affect our family, and I hate that it affects our family. I don't want to be that way I want to be present with my family. I want them to know that I enjoy them. I want to change. God, I'm sorry. Will you please help me to change? And so um, the next day, uh, I woke up and I said, Mikey, let's, let's sit down. I want to talk to you. And I swallowed my pride. And I said, um, you know, I, I hate to admit it, but you're right. My stress level does have a negative effect on our family. And I want to change, and I'm sorry, but I can't do this alone. I said, I need you to help me. And he said, sure, whatever it is, just tell me what to do. So I thought about it for a little while, and I said, I think that when I'm overwhelmed and anxious, I need to talk about it. I just need to get it all out, you know, and then I'll be able to move on and enjoy being with you guys. And he said, sure, I can do that. So a couple days later, I was overwhelmed and anxious and stressed about something, and Mikey said, do you want to talk about it? And I said, sure. So we start to talk about it, and he starts asking me questions. And asking me more questions, and pretty soon he's trying to fix it, you know, which we just love as women, you know, when you fix it. And I was getting really frustrated, and finally I said, can we please just stop talking about this? And he said, I'm done. He was like, you wanted to talk about it. We talked about it, and it's still not working. And I said, I know, I know, you're right. I thought talking about it was going to help, but it's not helping. So I thought about it some more, and I said, okay, this is what I need from you. I said, when I'm stressed and anxious and overwhelmed... I want you to stop whatever you're doing, drop everything, and I want you to pray with me out loud in that moment. And he said, okay, I can do that. So a couple days later, same thing, worried, anxious, upset, all that stuff. And, uh, and he did that. He dropped everything. Well, we were driving, so we held the steering wheel. But um, he prayed with me out loud. And it was like this peace came over me, and I could put everything else to the back of my mind and be there with my family. And ever since we had that fight, when I'm feeling that way again, he says, do you want to pray about it? And I say yes, and I feel so much better. And I've even been able to do that for Mikey in the very, very few times that he gets stressed. Um, And it's helped our marriage so much. And, you know, it makes me think, if I had never faced that mirror, if I had kept being angry and defensive and I didn't face the truth of what was in that mirror, we never would have experienced those times of God's peace coming over me and our marriage becoming stronger and enjoying my family. So, my question for you today is, what is in your mirror? What is that thing that your spouse or your mom or your dad or your child or whoever it is has been trying to tell you that you've been avoiding? Maybe for some of you, it's something like, you know, honey, you have worked late every night this month, and I feel like I'm second to your job and I miss you. Or maybe it's something like, honey... All day long, all you do is criticize yourself and put yourself down and the way you look and, and everything. And I don't want to hear it anymore. It's not true. Or maybe it's something like, um, you know, honey, I haven't seen you without a drink in your hand in three months. I think you have a problem and you need to get some help. Or maybe it's something entirely different. But whatever it is that's in that mirror, be willing to face it and to look in, take a good hard look in the mirror and admit that. So, um, there's a book in the Bible called James, uh, and Jesus' brother, one of his brothers, wrote this, and he gives some similar advice. And it says in James 1.22, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror.
1: You see yourself,
0: walk away, and forget what you look like. Now, I want to be careful to say I'm not by any means saying that your spouse's words are the words of God. But if your spouse says something to you, go to God. Take it to him and say, is this true? Is this something that's a problem? And is it something that you want me to change? And if he says yes, then be willing to make a change. Ask for help. And don't just walk away from the mirror and forget what you look like. Look in that mirror and be willing to make a change. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, Emily, this makes so much sense. I'm the mirror. That's my job. You know, my husband says I'm always criticizing him and putting him down and pointing out his flaws, but I'm just being the mirror. I'm just trying to make him a better person, you know? Okay, let me stop you right there. You are not the mirror. Our job is not to be the mirror. It's to look in the mirror. This is a mistake that I made a lot in the first couple years of my marriage. For some reason, I thought it was my job that any flaw or anything my husband did wrong, I had to point it out to him and be the one to tell him. Except that it didn't work. I found that every time I criticized him or pointed something out to him, he just got smaller and smaller and smaller. And he's four foot nine, so you know he couldn't get a lot smaller. <laughs> and then um, I heard this awesome quote um, by Ruth Graham. Who is the husband of, or the wife of uh, evangelist Billy Graham? And she said, "This tell your mate the positive, and tell God the negative." And I found the more of the negative things that I saw in Mikey, I took them to God and prayed about it. And a lot of times it was more my issue than his, um, but that made an impact. And then the more that I told Mikey that he was caring and patient and loving and a good husband, the more he became caring and patient and care- and loving and a good husband. And he started to become more like the person that God wanted him to be. So today, I want to encourage you to uh, not be the mirror, but to look in the mirror and be willing to make some changes. Because that is something that's going to make your marriage stronger. And stronger marriages, not perfect marriages, those are the ones that last. Alright, so I said there are three ways that God can make your marriage stronger. And the second way is through sharpening. And that's there in your handout, if you want to write that down. So, um, I have this knife here, and don't worry, it's not a real knife. Mikey wouldn't let me have a real knife up here. Um, But I have a knife just like this at home, and I love to cook, so I'm always using my knife step. One day I was cutting through some chicken, and it just was not cutting through. I mean, it just wish the chicken and I was getting really frustrated and I'm like oh I'm going to have to throw the whole knife set out and I'm buy a new knife set right and then I remembered oh wait a minute there was this like funny looking knife thing in the knife set I bet that's a knife sharpener so I started you know rubbing the knife across that sharpener and lo and behold it sharpened it and it cut right through the chicken only took me six years of having the knife set to figure that out but it saved me to buy a new knife set So what does that have to do with marriage? Well, how many of you in here, raise your hand, have been married for at least six months? Now, keep your hand up. And be completely honest here, okay? If you think that marriage can ever get a little bit dull, keep your hand up. Some of you, like, raised your hand after I said that. Yeah. Of course. You can put your hands down. Guys, of course marriage can get dull. You're with the same person every day, all the time, doing the same thing. Some of you are married to really dull people. So, you know, you're really going to have a dull marriage. So it's our job. We have to keep our marriage sharp. Um, And so we have to find ways to sharpen each other. In Proverbs, there's a Proverbs in the Bible in 2717. And it it says, as iron sharpens iron, just like the sharpener sharpens that knife, One man sharpens another And so when you're married This is different for What it takes to sharpen your marriage Is different for every couple So the way I sharpen my marriage Might not be the same way That you sharpen your marriage But we still need to to sharpen it in some way So for Mikey and I There's a lot of things we do To sharpen our marriage But one thing in particular we do Is we pray for each other Um, I pray for Mikey And I wish I could say I was one of those wives That prayed for an hour every day And all that But I'm not but almost always, not every time, but almost always on Thursday mornings, I pray for Mikey for five minutes. Just a real short little prayer. And nothing fancy, just a basic little prayer. And I've had, seen it make such an impact on him and on our marriage. And so I write my prayers down. I'm a journaler, so I wanted to just read to you the, the prayer, one of the prayers I prayed one day. So it says this. I pray for Mikey that you would help him continue to grow closer to you. I pray that you would bless his business and give him confidence. Heal his body from head to toe, because my husband has um, really bad arthritis. Give him a clearer picture of the calling that you have on his life and help him to pursue it. Help me to be a better wife to him and help him know how to lead our family. So just a really simple prayer that I pray every week and I see the impact that it makes. And Mikey prays for me too, and I know that because he tells me. Um, and about a year ago, he said to me, Emily, he said, when I pray for you, I always pray the same thing. And I said, okay, what's that, that I'm nicer to you? And he said, no, I always pray that you would see yourself the way that God sees you. Oh, and I just like melted on the floor, you know, that meant so much to me. And guys, if you're here and you've never prayed in your entire life and you don't know how to pray... Or maybe um, you, you want to pray for your wife, but you're not really sure what you should pray. That is a great place to start. Um, to say, God, help my wife to see herself the way that you see her. Because she has so many voices coming at her saying, you know, you're not good enough and you need to be this way. And you don't measure up to this. And if she could see herself the way God sees her, I mean, she'd have so much confidence. She would love you so much better. It would be so good for your marriage. So that's a great place to start to start praying for her. So that's how we sharpen our marriage one way. So how does your marriage need sharpening? Um, Maybe for some of you that means having a a date night every week. You know, put it on your calendar, put it on your budget, make it happen, stop making excuses, have that time together. Uh, Maybe for others of you, um, you need to start praying and reading your Bible together maybe for the first time. Or maybe start doing that again. Um, Maybe for others it's, it's reading a book about marriage or going to a marriage conference Um, For some of you, maybe marriage, it's gotten pretty rocky and you're having some issues and you need to go to counseling. And I know that can be a little bit intimidating and scary, but I've been to counseling before and it has been a huge help. And and take that step. We have, if you call the JAR office, we can hook you up with some people that um, can give you great counseling and it's worth it. It's not something to be embarrassed about. So whatever it is for you, whatever that step it is to take to sharpen your marriage, Stop thinking about it, stop talking about it, and just do it. It's going to be so good to make your marriage sharper. And when your marriage is sharper, it's stronger. And strong marriages are the ones that last. So, there's one more way that I want to share with you that God sharpens our marriage, and that is through fire. And that's in your handout if you want to write that down. So. I wanted to put like a big bonfire right here in the middle of the stage, but there's some firefighters at our church and I think they probably wouldn't like that very much. So we'll have to settle for a picture of a fire that we'll put up on the screen. So what does fire have to do with marriage? So this week I was doing a little bit of research about um, a certain metal and uh, it's steel. You've probably all heard of steel, pretty tough, strong metal, right? Well, I found out that there's something even stronger than steel and that's called hardened steel. And the way to create a hardened steel, there's only one way to do it, and it's that you have to put the steel through fire, and you have to add pressure, and it creates something even stronger. And this is something that I don't think I'll ever really truly understand as a Christian, but there are certain aspects of our character and things that God wants to create in us and character traits that he wants to develop that can only come through trial and pain and hurt and difficulty. And the Bible refers to these sometimes as fire. And that's the only reason he loves us so much that he would ever let us go through that kind of stuff is because he knows that it, it makes us stronger. So in first Peter one um, seven, Peter said this, he said, these trials will show you that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So somehow these trials that we go through, they purify our faith and they test us and they make us and they make our marriages stronger. One of the greatest examples I've ever seen of a marriage that went through a fire was Mikey's parents. Uh, Their names are Tom and Susie. I think there's a picture of them there. And when Mikey was in high school, his parents' marriage was, it was pretty rocky. There was a lot of fighting and arguing and yelling and not any real communication. And so um, one day things took a turn for the worse, and um, the fighting got really bad, and Mikey's mom, Susie, said to him, Mikey, um, I am done with this marriage, and on Monday I'm going to go get an attorney, and I'm filing for divorce. Now, you have to understand that Mikey had just become a Christian. So he was in this like crazy new Christian phase and really fired up and excited about all the things that God could do. So he looked at his mom and he said, no. He said, you're not getting a divorce. Not today. You're not getting a divorce. He said, mom and dad, sit down and we're going to pray and you're not going to get a divorce. So Mikey prayed with them. And for the first time in their marriage, Tom and Susie asked God to come and to be in the center of their marriage. And they didn't get a divorce. They stayed together, and their marriage wasn't perfect after that. But day by day, it became stronger. And I'm so glad that it did, because two years later, they went through the biggest fire that they would ever go through in their marriage. So one day, um, Mikey and his family were all home at the house, and his dad, Tom, was shaving, and all of a sudden got the worst headache that he had ever had in his life. And so he went and lay down on the couch, and um, Susie knew something was up. And she had the discernment to say, we need to call an ambulance because something is wrong with Tom. And so the ambulance came, and by the time it got there, he had slipped into unconsciousness. And they rushed him to the hospital, and the rest of the family went to the hospital and sat there waiting in the waiting room, no idea what's going on. And then they, um, they checked him out, and a doctor came out and talked to Susie and said, Susie, your husband has had a brain aneurysm. The prognosis is not good. Most likely, he is not going to survive this. And even in the slight chance that he does, he will never walk or talk again. He said, You are about to go through hell. They were in the fire. And so, obviously, they were devastated. And they did the only, they did the only thing they knew to do they sat in the waiting room and they cried and they prayed and they read the Bible and just begged God that he would do a miracle. And for days and weeks, they just, they prayed and asked God to heal him. And one day, Susie went home to get a few things to bring back to the hospital. And she was standing in her living room, and she heard God say to her heart, Tom is going to be okay. She wasn't sure if she believed it. She never really heard his voice like that before, but it gave her some hope. And so they went back to the hospital, and they kept praying. And in what was nothing short of a miracle, Tom began to recover. He started to interact with them. He started to speak and have conversations, but things still weren't great. He was completely paralyzed on one half of his body, very limited movement, and nowhere near being able to walk. So the doctors decided to put him in a nursing home to do some rehabilitation, try to get some of that movement back. Well, after a couple of days at the nursing home, um, Susie realized that he was never going to learn to walk there that they weren't pushing him hard enough, that the care wasn't um, personal enough that he was going to get to that point. So she made a very bold and a very unpopular decision and said, I'm taking Tom home, and I'm going to teach him how to walk. So she did. She bought a hospital bed and took him home. And she cared for him 24 hours a day. She fed him. She changed him. She bathed him. She got him in and out of bed. And every day, she kept working with him. And things got more difficult when she found out Tom had memory loss. And the doctor bill started coming in. And they realized he'd never be able to work again. And so there were even more financial problems. And it was rough. And there were so many times where she wanted to give up and walk away and give up on the marriage. But she kept going. And she kept pushing him and kept working with him. Well, one year later, Tom had to go for his one-year doctor follow-up. And he walked into that doctor's office completely on his own. And the doctors were amazed. They had made it through the fire, and they were stronger. And this year, Tom and Susie will celebrate 34 years of marriage. And their marriage still isn't perfect. They still have good days and bad days, but it is strong. And I have no doubt in my mind there is no fire that could come to their marriage that they won't withstand. Their marriage is strong, and their marriage has lasted. So how did they make it through? How did they stay together through that? How did Susie stay strong through all of that? Well, I believe that the answer can be found in a story in the Bible in the book of Daniel. And this is a story about three men who were refugees, in a country called Babylon. And um, in Babylon at that time, they had a king that was just like an egomaniac dictator. And he decided that he was going to build a statue of himself, and every person that he had rule over had to bow down and worship that statue. Well, these three men, their names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, said, no, because they were worshipers of the one true God. And they said, we are not bowing down to that statue. We will only bow down to our God. So the king, Nebuchadnezzar was his name, he said, Kill them. That's the punishment. They're going to die. He said, get a furnace, heat it up with fire as hot as you can, and throw them into that furnace. And so they did. And this fire was so hot that even the guards that threw them in died because it was that hot. But an interesting thing happened after he threw them into the fire, and we'll pick up the story um, in Daniel 3. Nebuchadnezzar said the king, didn't we tie up three men and throw them into the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted. I see four men, unbound, walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the fire of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officers, officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their heads was singed, and their clothing was not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. So why weren't these men burned up in the fire? There's only one reason, and that's because God was with them in the fire. And I believe that the only reason that Tom and Susie survived that brain aneurysm and that fire is because 15 years ago, Mikey sat with them in the living room and prayed and asked God to come and be in the center of their marriage. And God was with them in the fire. And so today, I know that some of you, your marriages are in the fire. Some of you maybe are in a financial fire. You're just in debt so far that you can't even figure out a way to get out of it. Maybe for others of you, you're in a fire of anger and fighting, and just the fighting and the conflict never stops. Maybe some of you are in a fire of mental illness and one of you is struggling with depression or anxiety. Maybe you're in a fire of an affair. One of you had an affair and now you're trying to get your life back together and move on. Maybe some of you today are in a fire of loss. Maybe one of you has lost a parent or maybe even a child and you are in the fire. Well, today I want you to know that there is hope and that you have a promise from God. In the book of Isaiah, God has this promise for you. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. If God is with you in the fire, yes, it's going to get hot, but you will not be burned. And so today, if that's you, if your marriage is in a fire, I have asked my husband, Mikey, to come up and to pray with you, just like he did for his parents, Tom and Susie, 15 years ago, to pray that God would come and be in the center of your marriage. And after Mikey prays, if you would like some personal, specific prayer for whatever your situation is, I've asked some couples to come up here that I know have strong marriages, and will be up here too. And if you want to get some specific prayer for your situation, you can come on up either alone or with your spouse and do that. Um, but right now, I'm going to have Mikey pray, so if you would close your eyes. And if your spouse is here, if you would just reach over and grab their hand. And Mikey is going to pray.
1: Let's pray. Lord, I pray for every marriage in this room today. I lift each one of them up to you. Each one of them has different challenges, unique joys, and struggles. And I ask that you would meet each one of them where they're at today. For all the husbands, Lord, I ask that you would fill them with your strength and love so that they may be spiritual leaders in their households leading their families closer to you, and lifting their wives up in prayer. And I pray that they would serve and love their wives the way that you served and love your church. For all the women here, Lord, I ask that you would help them to see themselves as you see them, that they are your precious daughters, and you love and you cherish them. And for all the wives in here today, Lord, I pray that you would help them to say encouraging words to their husbands and lift everything else up to you, Lord. Help them to build their husbands up with their words and help them to lift their husbands up in prayer. God, I pray that each couple in here today would place you at the center of their relationship and that you would pour out your love and your spirit into each one of their hearts and overflow them with love for one another. And God, I pray for everyone in here today, whether they're married or not, that you would pour your love into their hearts so that they may reflect your love in the relationships around them. Help us to sharpen one another and walk with us as we go through the fiery trials of this life so that we will not be burned up. I thank you for your love and your power, and I thank you for being with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Well, if you would like to come up for prayer, you can do that now. Um, Otherwise, have a great Sunday, and uh, know that you're loved in this place.